Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show in which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, the producer of the show, and we are thrilled to have you here, and I know you're going to be thrilled about this week's guest, Beatrice Chestnut, is back to talk with us about all things Enneagram 9. That's right, B is back. So make sure you tune in. If you know a nine or you know someone who's in relationship with a nine or works with a nine, make sure you get them on this episode. And just a reminder, we recently launched the Typology Institute membership. As a member, you receive a monthly newsletter from Ian, an exclusive podcast episode. And what Ian and I love most about the new membership is the monthly town halls where we get to connect with you, answer your questions about the Enneagram, and grow together as a community. It's really, really special. We just finished one last night and had such a good time. If you haven't signed up yet, visit typologyinstitute.com forward slash membership to learn more and to sign up. The next town hall is June 29th, and we'd love to see you there. Well, hey, it's time to get to master Enneagram teacher Beatrice Chestnut. So without any further ado, here is your host, Ian Cron. Beatrice Chestnut, Grand Dame of the Enneagram. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back to Typology. We're glad you're here. Good to be here. We've been in this series talking about ones, twos, sixes, and nines. Now, people may be wondering why we we picked those four Mm. types, you know. In part, it's because... Sometimes here on Typology, we have difficulty locating ones, twos, sixes, and nines. Here we are in Nashville with a million fours. Publicists <laughs> uh, for authors and musicians uh, oftentimes contact us because, but their their clients are often three, sevens, and eights, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're people who uh, are go getters. You know, when they see something they want, they either go and ask for it directly or just take it. Right. Go get it. Uh, and, um, you know, so we've, we've had some struggles with ones, twos, sixes and nines. And that's why I really wanted to focus in on them. But I do hope we, we circle back at some point and talk about these uh, these other uh, these other types. You know what we should almost do, Anthony? What's that? We should think about at some point with B's permission in bundling these these talks. Ooh, that's a great. We idea. should do all those numbers and bundle them and give them a, give them away for gratis. You know, yeah, like just, that. hey, here's a fast download on these on these types that could be kind of cool but today we're talking about nines and i'm excited as you know i'm married to a nine i'm the dad of a nine and uh so i'm you know fascinated by this number and as i said to you before we started you know one of the interesting things about nines is they appear so uncomplicated and yet they're very complicated aren't they yes (laughs) (laughs) and there's I'm, I'm curious about what you think about this. Just talking about the overall system of the Enneagram. Here we have these people who are perched on the crown of the Enneagram. And I've heard a lot of teaching around this. And I want to just explore with you for a second. What are your thoughts on the, this idea or this fact that the nines are perched on the crown? Like people will ask me all the time, are they the best number? Because they're way up there. And I'm going, no. However, they are there for a reason. What do you think? Yeah. Um, well, as you know, I've studied uh, Dante's Divine Comedy and the Enneagram. And what's interesting is they're both 
a part of sort of the seven deadly sins. They're part of the seven. And they're also part of the inner triangle, part of the three, three, six, nine, that's at the kind of part of the core structure of the Enneagram diagram. So they're, they're included in both. And I also think that nines are the prototype for all of us of some very important aspects of just being human and especially when we adopt a personality and that is this tendency to kind of go to sleep to ourselves. Yes, yes. They're almost the headwaters. That's how I like to think of them. Mm. Way up there perched on the crown, they're the headwaters of that uh, of falling into this kind of spiritual emotional torpor that that where we walk through the world at you know, half in this sort of half sleep state. And then of course, when we learn the Enneagram and perhaps some other spiritual or psychological tools, we begin to awaken. That's why when I'm always talking about living in awakened state, right? Yes, uh, yes. But here's that nine up there who, as you said, this archetype of the one who has fallen asleep to themselves as does every number, but perhaps not with as much, um, to me, at times, the nine that's not very self-aware is in a deeper state of sleep. It, yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they. we all have that where we kind of go to sleep to our experience on some level, whether it's, you know, just the fact that, you know, a large part of us is unconscious. Uh, Buddha called it ignorance. Uh, and yet, I think that's sort of what the nines do in spades, you know. Right. And I think this also argues for something I'm going to be doing a live stream on YouTube about, which is the importance of a mindfulness practice for all types. And I'm, I am, this is, you know, one of my hills that I stand on and scream from because the research, the scientific research shows that uh, a regular practice of mindfulness meditation helps us develop that inner witness that that can keep us awake to live in this moment with awareness uh, of what's happening what's going on inside me uh, and it gives us the ability what some call the sacred pause <clears throat> the, the ability to move from reactivity to responsiveness uh, and to say mm, what's what is motivating my wanting to say this or to do this. And it's not self-preoccupation and navel-gazing. It's just this little monitor back here that's asking good questions and helping us to pause and live more wisely in the world. So we're going to talk about subtypes in a moment because both of us are crazy about them. And um, But let's talk here again as we've started with this, in the series with all of them. What can we say about all nines in common. What did, what kinds of features or hallmark features do they share in common? Well, I think all nines share uh, a tendency to be other referencing or mm -hmm. more tuned in to what's going on on the outside uh, than they are uh, tuned into what's going on inside them. Um, it harder to access their in internal information about themselves uh, and just a kind of um, tendency to focus more on what's going out on out there. I also think a tendency to want to create harmony in their environment and to almost be someone who is 
harmonizing with the environment in order to help create more, more, more a sense of sort of everyone's okay with everyone uh, and an avoidance of conflict. I think, yes. I think that's a big one for nines. There's a, a sensitivity to tension and conflict and a wanting to uh, prevent that from happening or avoid it. Um, yes. And doesn't that speak to this whole idea of fusion or merging, right? Because yeah. um, part of the nines personality structure is this, desire to merge or fuse with another person or a group or with the body in order to um, avoid, particularly I think with social and one-to-one types, uh, disconnection, right, with, with, with another person, right. particularly the one or the group with whom they've merged, right? And so conflict represents oh gosh this could dis- this could cause even a even a little disconnection is too scary for me because mm-hmm. who am i apart from uh, uh gleaning my identity uh and by merging with the agenda the viewpoints the opinions and the preferences of the other or the group so that's that's been my experience of nines and i, I i'm not sure if you want to add anything to that but uh, that's you know yeah, I would say that that is the core of it. I would say it's about avoiding separation. And mm-hmm. there's this sort of deep program, uh, almost going back to like having to leave the womb, or sort of that comfort of union with the mother. It's almost like, you know, in all of us, we, we all have that sort of body memory of having to become a separate being. Uh, and I think for nines, there's something threatening and scary and hard about that. Um, and it, it's almost as if conflict means separation uh, in mm. their mind at the personality level. And so and there's something that's um, potentially annihilating about separation, yes. not belonging. Um, and so there's this deep unconscious avoidance of that happening and right. all kinds of subtle things that can happen in relationships between people can feel like uh, threatening separation. My wife the other day, this will show you how much work she's done and continues to do. Um, she had an interaction with uh, someone that she cares very deeply about and she had to hold a boundary. And this is not natural for her as a nine, right? Holding a boundary. Uh, A boundary had been set. This person had pushed against the boundary. This person's a seven. It's a very charming, far more aggressive than she is. Pushing, pushing the boundary. Mm. Please make an exception. This, it's only once, you know, and the nine is hearing this and, you know, getting pie-eyed, right? And, you know, we, we spoke about it afterwards and she said she'd get back to them. And I, I, I was like, mm. okay, you're wrestling with the boundary here, right? You're, and, and we talked about it. We talked about it. And I'm like, I, I ain't busting this boundary. You know what I mean? Like, like that is, that is the worst thing we could do in this situation. Yes. And eventually she just got quiet. And she said, I just don't want the conflict. And I was like, good on you. <laughs> that, that is great work. Yes. Yeah. And, and then of course she went and held the boundary and, wow. and, and I said to her, I said, you know that when you hold the boundary, it has more power than if I do it. Yeah. Right. 
because this is a break from the pattern that has been established for a long time in that relationship between you and that person. And, and, uh, early on in, in our marriage, I would have had to hold the boundary and been the bad guy. Yeah. Where you would always be then perceived as the person who was, uh, kinder, nicer, more easygoing, right? And, and that creates a very unhealthy kind of presentation as a couple, right? Uh, and can cause some real conflict between a, a couple, right? Can cause a lot of conflict. Okay. I would say, too, about, uh, about nines, um, that as we said earlier, earlier they, they're self-forgetting, right? That's part of the falling asleep, um, there's this, uh, this is going to sound harsh, but I think it's true. Nines who, who are really lacking self-awareness, who haven't done any work can go as far as being self-deleting, mm-hmm. um, self-erasing. Uh, and, and that's very sad when a nine kind of gets to that point when they're, when they're, that's their default mode. And we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like as we talk about, about subtypes, right? But before we do, I want you to help people understand this because this is maybe the most common, maybe most common mistype that people come to me about between nines and twos. Mm. And, and why don't you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I agree with you. Nines and twos are one of the biggest lookalikes on the Enneagram, and they do um, mistype as each other a lot. I would say some differences, of course, the similarities are, are clear, other referencing, helpful, um, supportive of others, um, can lose themselves, hard time saying no. But the differences are that twos are more emotional. Um, even though two sometimes repress their feelings habitually, unconsciously, those feelings usually come back up and they can be quite emotional. Um, uh, you know, cry more often, um, get angry more often. Most twos will say they also avoid conflict, but they can do it if they need to, or because they do get mad periodically or resentful, um, it's harder to avoid conflict as much as nines do. I would also say that I think nines are actually one, as you, as you probably remember, um, one of my pet peeves in the Enneagram world is twos are, are, are sort of presented very simplistically as helpers and give, givers. Mm-hmm. I actually think nines are bigger helpers, are mm. better helpers than twos because twos secretly want something back. Uh, it's about recognition. It's about appreciation. It's about giving to get. Whereas with nines, they often mean it in, in a more uncomplicated way that they tend to be more naturally humble, but also I think twos are more selective when it comes to people in their lives. Nines are more democratic. Uh, and there's a way that, um, nines are just emotionally steady. Uh, they're more truly easygoing, whereas those mm-hmm. twos can be easygoing and sometimes think they're more easygoing than they are. I think they have more ups and downs. Yes. And I, I another piece of it that has struck me in my relationship with twos and nines is that twos are far more image conscious than nines. Yes, uh, of course. Y- you can even see it in their dress. Right. Yes. Uh, you know, one particular subtype of nine, sometimes if they're not very self-aware, can be kind of frumpy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like not paying attention to the, to their appearance. Uh, and, and whereas twos 
very attuned to appearance. Uh, yeah. And and that's not as much the case with nines who are a phrase I use often is what you see is what you get people. Um, and and mm-hmm. another distinction I'd make again, sorry if you've all heard this before, but I always say, if you want someone to lie for you in court, don't ask a nine. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, yes, now yes. a two, a two could lie for you. A three yeah. could lie for you. A seven could lie for you, but a nine, they are crappy liars because yeah. They are those kind of what you see. There's kind of a sweet guilelessness about nines. There's yeah. kind of a, I don't know, sort of a natural um, maskless sort of part of them, which is lovely, you know, which can be very, very lovely uh, and that I like. So the the uh, passion of the nine is sloth. And right. um, again, I think we tend to think of this as physical laziness but that is too simplistic and in particular for one of the subtypes it is definitely not the case right Right. so what is sloth in your mind sloth is um it's more a psycho spiritual laziness Mm -hmm. a laziness with regard to taking action on behalf of oneself right so nines can engage in a lot of action and they're often very hardworking, especially when it comes to other people, supporting mm-hmm. others, doing things for the team, the organization, the family. Uh, but when, when it comes to their own personal priorities, their own agenda, their own desires, it can be hard to know what that is and especially hard to act in service of themselves. And so Mm -hmm. it's a kind of losing energy, making yourself unimportant when it comes to um, tuning into yourself, accessing your own interior and being able to take action on your own behalf. And of course the, the virtue is right Mm -hmm. action, uh, which is the opposite. Right. And I would say too, that there's a kind of laziness around self-development. Um, around um, investing in the growth of the self. Uh, And we'll talk about this in a moment. In the process of what Jung would have called individuation, uh, becoming their own person, finding their own voice, uh, identifying their mission and calling and pursuing it uh, rather than um, like a biker in a race drafting off of other bikers. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, instead of running their own race, right? right. And, and of course, we're describing nines here who are not very self-aware. These are the struggles that that nines have. I remind everybody that every type, we do not single any type out. Everyone is an equal opportunity player here. We all have our stuff, and the enneagram uh, just reveals it to us in ways that often are are uncomfortable, but really, really important to know about. Um, in my, in my experience, um, they are very, um, practical people. Um, they are concrete people, uh, sometimes, um, meaning that there's less oftentimes self-reflection with this type. I mean, a lot of nines I know don't have a lot. I'm a four, so I have more language. I have my ability to self-reflect goes on overdrive. I, I left my therapist yesterday <laughs> By the way, I have two-hour sessions with my therapist. We, we don't even have 50-minute sessions. I have two-hour sessions because I, he, he asked me, how are you feeling today? An hour goes by before I'm done. You know what I'm saying? And I have used every metaphor and symbol and characters in books. And I saw this movie and this character triggered me. And it's like I'm 
you know, in, in the soup of it. And whereas, you know, a lot of nines are, if you ask them, well, especially about sort of existential things sometimes mm -hmm. that they, they sort of don't know how to answer the language of the, of the interior world seems to have elude them a little bit. Has that been your experience with, with nines that aren't, aren't very self-aware? I, I would say yes. And especially the self-preservation mm. nine is the most yeah. practical, the most concrete. Um, they can even feel energetically a little bit eight-ish. Um, and eights, mm. I think, are also quite concrete. Um, yes. Um, so, yes, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I like the contrast between you and, and your in your therapy session and, and the nine. <laughs> my, my wife hated therapy until until she started to do her work. Um, she, she hated it because she would just go, I would talk the therapist and, and I wouldn't, I would always try and create space for her to, to talk. But every time the therapist asked a question before she started doing the work, she just cried mm. and, and she would say, I don't know. I, I just don't know what to tell you about when you ask questions about my interior world. I, I just, I just, I don't know. And I think that's part of that other referencing, that sort of externalized focus mm. Uh, on the world. Okay, let's jump into the three different types of nines. We're mm -hmm. talking here um, about the self-pres nine, the social nine, and the one-to-one -one nine. As we've mentioned in other shows, knowing subtypes is so important. These are three nuanced expressions of, of the type. In each of them, we get a finer set of distinctions um, of the type, um, and knowing them, if you're going to make, you know, it's wonderful to know your type. It's great to know your wing. If that's where you choose to end your Enneagram journey, well, you did get something. I mean, you, you, it's not like you got nothing, mm -hmm. but man, when you jump into the subtypes, uh, I think you're, you're heading on a path to greater self-awareness, greater self-knowledge and to doing deeper, deeper transformational work. Cause as you say, B, you know, the transformational path for each of the subtypes is so different and it's no size no one size fits all right when when we jump in uh, this is one of the reasons that you know part of me wishes i could have talked about subtypes in the road back to you mm. but being a primer i couldn't make the book that long mm. you know and, and i think for beginning students it was going to be overwhelming uh to jump into it so maybe on a future book i'll i'll uh, be able to dive more more deeply into into subtypes um mm -hmm. all right let's talk about Self-preservation nines. Mm. You start. So self-preservation nines. Um, so all nines have hard, a hard time connecting with their own sense of being mm -hmm. and the pain connected to not being in touch with their own sense of being. Yes. So each of the subtypes represents something they use to destroy themselves from their own sense of being. Mm. Um, and with self-preservation nines, what they focus on most is comfort and the, the comfort that comes from routines and activities, uh, things that they engage in that sort of help them feel grounded in the world. And it's almost like a little bit of a substitute for kind of a higher sense of being connected to themselves. So it's, mm. it's like looking for what they need in a substitute, like um, finding, finding comfort and ease and watching television instead of maybe an activity where they would be more tuned into a deeper part of themselves. Right. Um, and it can be different things for different people. Mm. 
Yeah, it, it, it seems to me. Well, let me ask you this. Have you experienced even sometimes, because we oftentimes talk about sex or food or zoning out uh, on Netflix or whatever, but even exercise can become yes. a, a form of comfort, right? So it, it, yeah. it's not necessarily always the appearance of lack of self-discipline or a lack of, um, you know, too much inertia. It, it's, it's, it can appear very active, but it, there's comfort in the activity itself. Right, 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 right. And it can be reading. I mean, it doesn't have to be mm -hmm. something that's um, obviously, like you're saying, kind of zoning out. Um, but anything that sort of helps, it's sort of something to focus on that is a comfortable thing for them to do. And it's often there's a routine. My One of my best friends is a self-preservation nine. And every day she sits in the same chair and drinks a cup of coffee at the same time and reads the newspaper. Um, and so there's a kind of... Um, touching in with herself and finding a sense of comfort and groundedness in her day, that is, you know, you could see that as a positive. However, it's also something where she's a little bit lost to a deeper sense of herself. It's not the same as like mindfulness meditation for an hour. Right. Um, so it's a little bit different that way. And I've heard people who have like crossword puzzles that they do all the time that are like that. Uh, a good friend of mine is self-preservation. I loves to read and is always reading. And this is also a subtype that likes to be alone a little bit more than yes. the other mm. nines. We've talked about how they merge. Self-preservation nine is the one that would, would actually finds a lot of comfort kind of doing their own thing. I talked to uh, a nine the other day and I was trying to help her sort out which subtype she was. And at one point she used the phrase like, yeah, people say I'm in my own, my own little world. You know, okay, that's a little bit more of the self-preservation nine because there's not as much. It's the, the merger with others is not as total. Now it doesn't mean they still don't merge. Um, it's just that they, it's like they have one foot out in their own comfortable routines that helps them feel a little bit more separate and a little bit more tuned in to what they uh, feel comfortable doing, which is something that serves their self-preservation need. Yeah. I, when I think of it is the, that spinning on habit, right? Um, yeah. That, that kind of, uh, falling into the allure of the status quo, you know, like not, mm -hmm. not breaking out of the status quo is yeah. a way of doing life in your sleep. Like yeah. you could just do life in your sleep. It's like, I don't really have to expend a lot of energy thinking about doing something new or expending energy, actually doing it. If I just do the same thing over and over again, it's, it's just easy for me to not have to expend energy. I think sometimes nines have a lot of stamina especially when they can bring their energy back in because nines have a lot of energy but what happens is they disperse it outside themselves mm -hmm. um so i wouldn't say it's a matter of stamina at least not in my understanding i would say it's more it's more that incapacity to or or uh, even reminding themselves that it's a good thing to do to access a deeper part of their experience. It's like they're mm -hmm. hanging out. Like you said, I like the status quo and equilibrium, but it's yes. also a protection. It's a protection against having to show up in life. Yes. More undefended and more in terms of letting the flow of life surprise them. You know, it's like a right. like I'm going to protect myself in comfort. This for the self-preservation line. It's like when they start to grow, comfort is the enemy. Uh, but when they're protecting themselves and doing their things in personality, protection is and comfort is where they hang out. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I think you're you're into the growth path, which is great, um, which is right action. There's a Buddhist term, by the way. We could explore that. Um, but uh, right action, for in my experience for nines, and this is where growth can start for them, oftentimes life, if a nine sometimes doesn't let life get to them, sometimes life will not agree. You know, like some crisis will emerge that caught where they have to move. They have to act. They just have to act. Uh, maybe it's uh, a child comes down with a, 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 a chronic illness or a, there's a divorce or, you know, whatever it may be. Some crisis hits that they wake up and right action kicks into gear. Right. And if they're doing their work, you know, they can amp up to it or sometimes life just drops a piano from a fifth story window on top of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this sort of waking up moment. And, and though it's, you know, no one wishes ill on anybody or crisis on anybody. A lot of nines I know who have woken up will say, yeah, it was painful, but in some ways the best thing that ever happened to me. Cause it, I, I woke up, you know, I, I came to consciousness as a result. Um, why don't you talk a little bit more about right action? So um, we sometimes say that, Sloth is all the actions except the right one. Mm. Um, And right action is like uh, the heart's knowing of exactly the next thing that needs to happen. And an unstoppable willingness or force of doing that one thing that's going to help themselves, help the world, initiate a new action, a new change in the world. And it's almost like when a nine gets in that zone, it's like it's so clear what they need to do for themselves and they can't not do it. Uh, and and so that's, it's beautiful to see nines wake up exactly like you say in that way and, and, know, and, and go from like not knowing what they want and feeling how you know, frustrating that is to going to know exactly what the next thing is that they need mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. This is, um, in, my wife's a one-to-one nine, but I've seen this dynamic in her own life, you know, where there's this awakening moment where life, you know, you can go through life for a long time maybe w- without letting it get to you. But then sometimes life goes, sorry. <laughs> you know, it's like you are either going to have to rise to this moment and show up or or not and but the consequences of not showing up uh will be greater than the the discomfort of doing the work you know um and that can be really uh pretty pretty great for for a nine albeit i don't wish them crises but you know sometimes that's the that's the way forward okay let's talk about social nines so social Uh, nines yep Social nines are the counter type of mm-hmm. the not three nines. And the counter type, of course, is the type that kind of doesn't look like you think it would when it, especially when it comes to the passion. Um, but they still, of course, have sloth. It's just that they're really, really busy. They work really, really hard. Right. They're the second biggest workaholics on the Enneagram after threes. Um, and they focus on the group or on service, uh, serving the group in some way. Um, as a way of erasing themselves or not focusing on themselves. It's like distracting themselves by what needs to be done for others or the community or the family. 
uh, such that they don't tune into themselves. And, and underneath that is a strong desire to belong. Mm-hmm. Um, social nines have a kind of deep sadness about not belonging. And so it's like, I'm working hard to earn my membership, but of course they never at the level of personality, we never get what we're going for. And so right. it's like, no matter how hard they work, they don't feel like they belong. Yes. And this is the, this is the type where if you, if you think of the self-pres nine as merging or fusing with physical needs or the, of the body, right? This is now we're, we're starting to see with the social nine and the, the one-to-one nine, the fusing, the fusing with um, another or with, with, with a group. In other words, fusing with the agenda of the group, uh, the expectations of the group, the needs of the group, while to the um, – to the detriment or to the exclusion of one's own, right? It's, it's, it's you know, uh, forgetting one's own and then m- merging with that uh, of the group. And you're right. These folks can right. work like crazy on behalf of the group. And um, in order to, I would say, probably in part to maintain union with it. Mm-hmm. Is that, does that sound fair or? Yeah, I would say trying to be w- one with, to feel included, to feel um, like they belong. And yet the irony is, is that no matter how hard they work, they often don't achieve that sense of belonging, mm-hmm. uh, which only makes them drive. And of course, for all of the subtypes, there's kind of a vicious circle of a d- driving need and that need never gets met. So it drives you around in circles. Um, but yes, a drive to belong and so that motivates really, really hard work, doing whatever it takes. Um, and it could be in the family, like mediating disputes or, you know, if, you know, bringing things to the group that they, that they think people need that will help them. Um, but all, often not putting themselves in the picture. Yeah, that's why I think these are, um, you know, again, people stereotype nines and uh, as they do with all types. And, and when I'm doing corporate work, a lot of times I'll have people say, I just don't think of like fours and nines as being leaders. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, nines can make great, great leaders uh, because of their supportiveness, m- you know, their meeting needs of the group, but even more so, they're consensus leaders. They're so inclusive. They really want to hear from everybody. They want to bring everybody around the table. I think you could argue, and you might disagree with me, but I just think about regardless of where political stances fall, some of our best presidents have been nines. You know, they're they're deal makers. They're kind of easy, more easygoing, less combative, less, you know, all that stuff. Um, And I'm sure you've seen that in your corporate work as, as well. I mean, gosh, great team leaders. But do you think that's part of the reason they get nailed as twos sometimes? I do think that nines make great leaders and social nines, I actually think end up being leaders quite a lot and they often get drafted into it by others who notice and in in addition to everything you said about why they make great leaders is I think they have a natural humility Mm. I think there's a way that they aren't doing it for their own self-aggrandizement they aren't doing it for they don't have big egos Uh, so I think that's a a big reason that nines uh, make good leaders and and when they do become leaders why they are really excellent leaders you know, it's interesting you should say that because I do think that's a difference with twos. Yeah. I mean, twos can be much more strategic and ambitious. 
Yes. Uh, than than a nine. Now that doesn't mean uh, a two can be a leader, but but a nine um, in an entirely different way because of that humility piece that yeah. the two struggles to get that's the the virtue that the two has to move toward yes. but it's not something the nine has to move toward they they you know they they kind of have in fact what i would say is that if you know there are certain types that i would say tend to fall on a higher on the higher end of the narcissism scale mm-hmm. i often say that nines don't have enough narcissism mm-hmm. they tend to fall too low on the scale and, and I'm oftentimes telling them, you know, you could afford to be a little more narcissistic. And I, as yes. a four, could, have, could afford to be a little less narcissistic, yes. you know. Yes. What's the transformational path for this subtype? Uh, for the social nine, it's about exactly like you're saying, um, doing things more to allow themselves to be recognized, um, taking credit for things, mm. putting themselves in the picture, recognizing all the ways they do belong, taking in the positive feedback that other people give them uh, when they do so much so that they don't kind of keep getting motivated and not filled up uh, by the positive things that they do and, and the impact that they have. Um, tuning in more to themselves, getting in more, more in touch with sadness, uh, allowing themselves to really feel that. And of course, getting in touch with anger is also always really important for nines mm. as well. Great. Well said. Let's move on to sexual nines. Okay. Uh, one-to-one nines. This is my wife, Anne. Um, I think this is, you know, I've heard people say that uh, nines are the sweethearts of the Enneagram. That's a mm-hmm. phrase I've heard before in Enneagram circles. Mm-hmm. And I think of all of them, the sexual nine, the one-on-one nine is really a sweetheart. Yes. Really a sweetheart. Uh, they are less assertive. They, they're very gentle. Right. Mm-hmm. And their presence is so inviting and kind. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that th- these folks, if, if the social nine fuses with the agenda of the group, that's the one to one nine tends to fuse or merge with the, you know, the the life of another individual. Right. right. Or um, or perhaps a small number of individuals or you wouldn't quite call it a group, you know, because it's so small. But, mm-hmm. you know, um, this is the type that I think sometimes uh, so depends on merging with the life agenda of the other and supporting it and then confusing the success of the other with their own, right? Uh, that they, they get into trouble because their identity is gleaned, I think, a sense of identity and a filling of the void is gotten through the fusion with uh, another person. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's almost a sense of having no boundaries between Mm. you and another person. Um, And it's usually, you know, the important people in the, the nine's life that uh, they really merge with at a deeper level to the point where they don't re- maybe realize that they've taken on the opinions, the feelings of that other person so completely. Uh, sometimes if they do register their own opinions or feelings, if they go against what that special person uh, thinks or feels, they'll kind of keep it to themselves. Uh, and it's, it's a sense of not being able to separate 
Uh, I've heard a lot of stories of um, sexual nines who were in bad relationships that they couldn't get out of yes. or it took them a very long time to get out of. I even mm. heard one guy say that he a couple of times <laughs> had moved to a different city without telling his partner um, until he was already gone because <laughs> yeah. it's so hard to separate. Or they get divorced but, but uh, to live in separate bedrooms in the same house. Yes, yes. Or stay connected. Like I'm still taking care of my partner. We're still like really, really connected, even though we're separated or divorced. Right. Man, so fascinating, right? Totally. And and I um I do think that at midlife sometimes one to one nines have this sort of moment where they where they go, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about my voice? Like, what is my voice? Right. Uh, and I've, I've got to find it. And, and it's, again, one of those moments that I think is so great for the, the nine. And, and, of course, knowing the Enneagram means that when you're younger, you can begin this journey. You don't have to wait until you're 48 to wake up and go, you know, I've spent my whole life kind of merged with the agendas of my children and my wife or my husband and, you know, just sort of following around. I've got to find my own path. That's their, that's their midlife crisis agenda, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Finding their own sense of purpose. And maybe they're really good at something or they have a career, but they haven't fully manifested it because it's been hard for them to really invest in, focus on their own independent path or, mm. or a sense of mission in the world. So nines wrestle with anger, right? Or they have issues around anger. How does the sexual nine express their anger? Sometimes the sexual nine, even more than the other two nines, has no awareness of their own anger. Mm. Uh, especially as we're talking about, it's threatening to separate from that person you've fused with and that you don't feel any sense of boundary with. Um, and so it makes it, you know, there's a lot of disincentives for registering anger mm -hmm. or feeling it and certainly expressing it. So sometimes I've found it can be hardest for the sexual nine to get in touch with their anger. Yes. I had a, uh, a nine and an eight, uh, in therapy once. And the, I said, which one of you has more power in this relationship? And the eight looked at the nine and, and you wouldn't think it. He goes, it's like an, unst I'm an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object. You know, and, and there's that anger being expressed passive aggressively. The eight wants it to come right out and the nine. You, you think they're capitulating sometimes, but nope, they're mm. they're actually passive aggressively. And that's why they feel like an immovable object sometimes when they're angry. Yeah, they don't they don't say it straight out, but it's being expressed very subtly and effectively. Yeah, it's the power of the mountain. It's it's the passive resistance. Or as my self-preservation nine friend says, it's like, who wins the battle, the tank or the swamp? <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that nine eight dynamic, isn't it? Right? Right there. And yeah. and I think that it gets expressed across the board regardless of, of type. All wow. right. You say in your book, and I found it fascinating. That sometimes the one to one nine can get pegged as a four. Yeah. All right. Unpack that for folks. Yeah. Yeah. I have a good friend who's a one to one nine and she periodically asks me, are you sure I'm not a four? <laughs> and I think part of it is a sensitivity to 
the push pull of relationship. You know, there's so much attention on the other. Uh, and, it, you know, it can feel like introjection of the four, which is the mm. taking in from the outside in order to control it, but as opposed to the merging. Um, and I also think they're the most emotional of the three nines. Now, I've seen sexual nines who, who appear quite emotional, but it's a kind of instinctual energy. It's not pure heart energy, but it can feel that way a little bit like I'm, I'm more sensitive, I'm more emotional, um, and I'm more tuned into relationship. Uh, and so they can look a little bit like a heart type and, uh, again, not wanting to have the other go. It can feel like a little bit of like the fear of abandonment of the four. Mm. You know, my wife has an insight about nines. That I think is interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts about it. <clears throat> my wife says that one of the things that she's experienced as a nine uh, across the board with nines as well is this belief in unconditional love that they, that there should be a receiving of, of they anticipate that in return for their way of being in the world and in that relationship, that, that unconditional love should be what comes back to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time saying to my wife in a, in a heated moment, um, you know, unconditional love is a little bit of a myth, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's something that we want to aspire toward, but there is a breaking point in every relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think the, the nine wants to hear that, that there is this unconditional love that will never lead to disconnection, that will never lead to separation or abandonment. And it's like, yeah, but you have to show up. You, you got to show up and bring juice to the relationship. And if you don't, you can't expect love to always just, you know, like. One of the things that Annie used to say, and by the way, I'm not saying anything that she hasn't said in public, it, it, things that I've done before. So it's not like I'm, you know, airing dirty laundry here. And she's done so much growth that this is, you know, uh, part of her journey, but not not at present. Um, you know, that that um, somehow or another in, in the in the relationship that, um, you know, you you eventually either bring yourself to it and become your own self or the other person has no one to be in relationship to. And that eventually will, you know, begin to make unconditional love difficult, right? Exactly. Or impossible. I think you're absolutely right that I think sexual nines can mistake this kind of fusion for unconditional love. Mm. Um, and I also think that, mm. um, sexual nines tend to erase themselves from the equation mm -hmm. such that one plus one equals one uh, yes. because mm. they're, they're, they're not standing in their own shoes and, you know, a relationship and especially a relationship that, that leads to unconditional love is a relationship between two people uh, that each are kind of rooted in their own self, but then come together. And I think what sexual nines can can do is they er, they take themselves out. And so, like you're saying, they can't. They're not home to receive that. They're they've just uh, merged completely with the other person. So it can seem like a kind of closeness or love, but it it actually isn't because that person isn't putting themselves fully in the picture. Right. And so this, I think, is part of their transformational path. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not sure if I said this in the road back to you or somewhere else, but I, I like to think that true union with another human being in love, right, is 
you have two separate candles in one flame. So it's like you, you hold yeah. two candles in a, a wick to wick that are lit. And so union is in the flame, but it requires two candles, right? Two separate beings. And the paradox in relationship is, I think that the, the more separate and indefined two people are, the healthier and the more exciting the relationship and the more merged and fused you are, the more boring and predictable the relationship becomes. Exactly. Exactly. When I was Mm. doing more couples counseling, what I actually found was that couples who had conflict and, you know, healthy conflict, constructive conflict were actually had a better relationship than the couples who never had conflict because they would eventually kind of get disengaged. Yes. There was a lack of juice in the relationship that's about two different people doing the kind of hard work to kind of come together. And there's a lot of juice. And as Esther Perel says, it having a bridge to cross, uh, yes. having a gap to overcome. That's part of what makes relationships exciting and, and healthy and juicy. And that is a great place to end. We just sort of laid out the growth path for, for nines. B, this has been so great. We have done ones, two, sixes, and nines. And now, if you will indulge me, can we please do three, fours, five, sevens, and eights? Because this has been so fun. Yes, yes, yes. I love talking to you fours. I always love having a conversation with you about the Enneagram. I love, 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 love what you've brought to this. uh, And uh, I would love to do that. Good. Beatrice Chestnut, author of The Complete Enneagram, 27 Paths to Greater Self-Knowledge. Tell everybody where they can learn more about you. Um, CPenneagram.com and BeatriceChestnut.com. Wonderful. B, we love you. And we hope we're going to get you back to cover those other numbers. And to you, my friends, Typology family, may you have love, may you have joy, may you have peace, may you have healing, may you have rest. Until next time.